to iloveedmontonrealestate.com. My name is Jason Scott. I am the host of uh, the podcast and with me today is Rob Sword. Rob is the owner of Robart Electrical Services here in Edmonton. It's a uh, family-owned and operated electrical contractor. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. So Rob, how did you become uh, an electrician? What's your background on in the business? Well, my entry into the electrical field started off when I owned a house and I built a garage and I thought, no, I'm going to take on the job of doing my own electrical. And I loved it. I thought it was just fabulous. So I started investigating and I found a company that would allow me to come in and work as a starting journey, a starting apprentice electrician. So I got into the field. This would have been probably, oh, 35 years ago. And uh, it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful experience the whole way. What were you doing before you got uh, into electrical work? I used to work for the city of Edmonton fixing fire hydrants. Oh, okay. So from water to electricity. Water good. To, they and the well. two don't mix, or maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> so when did you start the business? The electrical company was started in 1984 as Robart Electrical Services, and we incorporated in 2006. Oh, okay. And how many people do you have on staff now? Presently, we've got eight plus myself. Okay. And you're doing primarily residential uh, electrical work? We're doing primary residential and probably 90% residential and 10% commercial. Okay, so Rob, what are some of the common issues that homeowners have with regards to just maintenance and whatnot on their electrical uh, systems in the house? Maintenance as far as the existing homeowner, the thing that we're finding most often is things like electrical panels, that have uh, run out of space and they want to do more expansion and so forth. Aluminum wiring is a huge concern nowadays with the Insurance Bureau of Canada and so forth, but uh, mostly prevalent when a purchaser decides to buy a home. That's when the home inspectors are brought into play and the homeowners a lot of times are made aware that aluminum wiring exists. So the original homeowner didn't know that it was aluminum. We're hearing a lot of that lately. Really? And okay. now what the home, what the insurance companies are doing is uh, they're giving them a timeline to get the aluminum corrected. Otherwise, they will raise their insurance premiums or cancel the insurance altogether. So what's the issue with aluminum wiring? With aluminum wiring, it's a thing called cold flow. What cold flow is, is the compression of the aluminum conductor under a screw, like on the side of a plug or a switch. So what happens is, with aluminum, the metal, when you draw electricity through it, it heats up. When it heats up, it expands and contracts. When it expands and contracts under the compression of a screw, it loosens. When it starts to loosen, it will start to arc. Okay. Just like the blue flame of a welder, when he strikes that arc, you get that brilliant flame. It's exactly the same thing, only not as intense. Right, okay, so obviously a fire hazard. A fire hazard. Because what happens is when it starts to arc, it generates heat. The first thing that happens is it melts the insulation on the conductor. Second thing that happens is it melts the device itself, the plug or the switch. And under the extreme conditions, it will catch fire to the combustible 2x4 that the electrical box is attached to. Now, I thought it wasn't a big deal as long as you went with uh, your electrical outlets, you did pigtails, so it wasn't a uh, uh, copper to an aluminum situation which would cause the arcing or further corrosion. Is that accurate or not? 
the correction that is most acceptable in the industry nowadays and the one that is the least amount of maintenance and the most dependable is a thing called pigtailing. Okay. And what pigtailing is, is we connect a piece of copper wire to the existing aluminum, mm -hmm. and there's a very specific method of doing this. And what we do is we connect these two together, <clears throat> and then it's the copper conductor that is put under the screw of the plugger switch. Ah, okay. So not that the aluminum. And then that eliminates the the need or the right. worry about the screw loosening itself. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So you don't need to rewire a house completely just because you have aluminum wiring. No, that was the solution that a lot of people were suggesting years ago but they've come to understand that there's no problem with aluminum wiring i actually have aluminum wiring in my house and when i moved in before the first stick of furniture came in i went around to all plugs and all switches and i pigtailed all the connections gotcha and is that an expensive job or no no nowadays you're looking at just a rule of thumb probably a dollar a square foot so if you've got a 1,200-square-foot house, you're looking at about $1,200. Now, another thing that we need to do, and this is a guarantee of performance on the part of the electrician, is we take out an electrical permit when we do pigtailing. What that means is we go to the city of Edmonton, we take out an electrical permit, and an inspector from the city of Edmonton, an impartial inspector, comes in and makes sure that the method you're using to pigtail the wiring is correct. Okay. I'd like to tell you a little story. Sure. I got a phone call from a realtor who says, Rob, I've got these clients, they're looking at a 1972 house, and they love the place, but the home inspector found aluminum wiring. The owner of the house came up and said, oh, no, no, it's okay. You don't have to worry about that. Uncle Dave was here two weeks ago, and he pigtailed everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, the realtor in the home and the home potential home buyers weren't too comfortable with that. So they asked me to come in and do a little bit of an inspection. Yep. I went in and I opened up some of the plugs and switches and so forth. And it appeared that the majority of the procedure was done correctly. But I was a bit suspicious because of something I saw. So I went to, the, I was at the back entrance and there was on the wall three switches in a box. I took the cover off. I pulled out the middle switch. And what I found behind the middle switch was all the insulation on the wiring was melted back for about two inches and half of the switch was gone. It was a puddle of plastic <laughs> in the bottom of the electrical box. Right. Now, this is what Uncle Dave had done two weeks prior. The trick is with this, he didn't do it properly. He assumed he was doing it properly, obviously, but there is a very specific method to doing pigtailing. Right. This is why we take out an electrical permit and why we have the city inspector come in to ensure the homeowner that it was done properly. Right. Because just because you say you did pigtailing may not remove the risk of fire. Right. Okay. Good to know. Because a lot of people would think that would be like an easy job, do-it-yourself kind of thing and no problems. That's correct. Yeah. What are some of the uh, other issues that potential home buyers should be on the lookout for when they're looking at older homes? One of the biggest things that we're coming across nowadays, and this is absolutely true for about 90% of the things we're seeing, is sellers over the years do basement renovations. Mm -hmm. And they do basement renovations, but they don't take out permits. Don't take out electrical permits. Don't take out building permits. Don't take out plumbing permits. 
So the problems that buyers are running into nowadays is the fact that they go to find the house, they love the place, and the realtor says to the seller, can you provide me with permits? And the sellers say, no, we didn't take anything out. So now, what has to happen? According to Alberta safety standards, Alberta safety codes, for the city of Edmonton to issue an electrical permit, two things must happen. There must be what's called a rough-in inspection. A rough-in inspection is an opportunity for the inspector to come in, view the electrical installation prior to drywall. The second thing that has to happen is what's called a final inspection. A final inspection is done after the drywall is complete, all the light fixtures are put on, the switches, plugs, plates, and everything to ensure it was done properly. Now you can understand that when a buyer comes into a house and there's a finished basement with no electrical permit, you ask for a permit, but you can't get one. Right. So what has to happen nowadays, what is the acceptable solution to this problem is preferably a master electrician comes into the house, does an inspection of the basement in this particular case, and will give a written report saying as to the methods used for the electrical installation. Are the pot lights safe? Will they overheat? Uh, are the plugs the proper plugs? Are the circuits overloaded? Are the breakers installed properly? This written report is what the seller gives to the buyers to offset their concerns about not having an electrical permit. Right. Okay. But at the end of the day, you still don't really know what's going on behind the wall. Yes. In our particular case, Robart Electric has purchased technology where it's cameras that we can look inside the walls okay. to ensure that it was done properly and it is a safe installation. So you go in through the outlet hole in the wall and then up and look around? Right. What it is is a camera with a three-foot lens on it. A uh, very small, tiny lens, and we actually put that up inside the wall to view the wiring to ensure that it was done properly. Right. And if there are issues, then what happens? If there are issues, if they're severe, we bring it to the attention of the seller who did the work, and then the negotiations start. Because in the case of, an, of a basement, if we find that, for instance, there were steel stud walls and they used regular house wiring, which is designed for wood walls, then the potential for vibration cutting through the steel stud, sparks, all this sort of stuff is there. So we bring it to their attention, explain what the concerns are, safety concerns, and then we let them negotiate. Once they negotiate, the only alternative to something like that is, unfortunately, the walls have to be opened and the wires replaced with proper type wiring for steel stud. Right, okay, so the lesson in this is do it right, get permits, exactly. etc. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, as a mortgage broker, one of the things that I see happen sometimes is, you know, an older home will have 60 amp service. And some of the lenders, because now insurance companies are saying, hey, we want 100 amp service, right? The lenders are saying, well, get this done prior to funding. How common is that from your perspective? That is very, very common. Everything built up to approximately 1965 was a 60 amp service. Now we've seen over, over the last six, seven years that insurance companies are saying to new buyers, we will not give you insurance if it's still a 60 amp service. Or they're saying we will give you 90 days to have this done. Now what the problem is, is if an insurance company is saying they're not gonna give you insurance, 
then a mortgage broker cannot give you a mortgage because they can't give you a mortgage on a house that's not insurable. That's right. The lender will not lend because they're, at that point, they're protect, or unprotected without insurance. That's right. Yeah. Now, so what Robart Electric has done over the years is we've come up with a system to help the realtor and the purchaser get around this little problem. Okay. Uh, what we do is we go out and give a quotation on the job. And once the quotation is accepted, then what we do is we contact EPCOR in the city of Edmonton and say to them, when is the first available date for us to come in and have the 60 amp service upgraded to 100 amps? Now, in the summer and, and early fall, EPCOR has a history of being up to six weeks behind in their jobs. So in the case of a house purchase, it could be as quick as a 30-day possession. So now there's a bit of a dilemma. 30-day possession, but you can't get it done for six weeks. And we need EPCOR's involvement to switch off the main yes. service to the house, right? That's right. Okay. Uh, just to back up a little bit, the way the system works is Robot Electric arrives on the scene between 8.30 and 9 o'clock, depending on the lineup at Tim Hortons. Well, it's true. <laughs> yeah. EPCOR gets there between 9.30 and 10.30 because they go for breakfast. They shut off the power. And we do our work. The inspector shows up between 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock, says, Rob, your guys did another beautiful job. Here's your sticker. He phones up Epcor and says, come on back to Jason's house and reconnect the power. Right. Epcor comes back usually between 3 and 4.30 to reconnect the power. So it's a full day experience to get this done right. for a service upgrade. Now, what that means is Epcor is heavily involved in this because they've got to show up in the morning turn the power off so we can do the work, and they must come back at the end of the day. So we are totally at governed their rim, yeah. by their schedule. Yeah. So that's why I say that in the summer and the early fall, EPCOR could be up to six weeks lag time for us to apply for a service upgrade. So what Robart Electric has done now, we've created a document that we give to the buyer or yeah. seller whoever's paying for the service upgrade, and they give that to the mortgage broker and also the insurance company who will, at that time, give them their insurance and give their mortgage because Robart Electric has taken responsibility to ensure that the 60-amp service will be done as per EPCOR's schedule. Right, okay. It's a beautiful system. So insurance companies are on board, the lenders are on board, yeah. away we go. That's right. Okay. That must have been hard to get everyone on board for that process. It takes time, but it was well worth it. We took away so many speed bumps yeah. for the buyers and the realtors. Right. So, and I guess, obviously, if you're a seller, you know you've got 60 amp service. You may as well upgrade it now rather than waiting till you have an offer. That's absolutely correct. And I do training for realtors and home inspectors. And that is one thing that the realtors have brought to my attention years ago when we started this was it is more beneficial for a seller to have a 60 amp service upgraded to 100 amps prior to listing. Now, in the case where we just spoke about, about the six weeks, a lot of sellers don't want to wait six weeks. So with the acceptance of our quotation, we do give a letter that the realtor will lay on the table next to the MLS listing saying that the service upgrade will be done by Robart Electrical Services on this date. And it's all been prepaid for and prearranged. Okay. Are there any other major issues that, you know, you've come across in, in your experience? One of the other issues, it's not as prominent, but in older houses, 
prior to 1950s is knob and tube wiring. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> I used to own a house with that. There you go. <laughs> knob and tube. Robot Electric actually does probably three to four of these a year okay. where we get called in by the homeowner, the purchaser, yeah. and the realtor, and they find out that there's knob and tube wiring. Knob and tube wiring is a method of wiring that was prevalent, like I say, up until about 1950. Now, it's not acceptable nowadays by the insurance companies. So, of course, the broker's got a problem with it. But what it is, is the existing wiring needs to be abandoned 100% and new wiring put in to replace it. Now, there's a little bit of a, a trick to this because back in the 40s, the code rules and so forth, obviously, were different than today. And back then, they used to put one wall receptacle in the bedroom, possibly two. When we go in to do a knob and tube upgrade, all of that wiring is disconnected and all new wiring is put in. But the trick today is that we must put four wall receptacles in a bedroom, not two. So it's a lot more involved than replacing just the original devices. And with today's code requirements and so forth, the services have to be upgraded because as of January 1st, 2016, almost all receptacles now have to be arc fault protected, which means there's a special breaker that needs to be installed and so forth. So it's a large undertaking. And when we get done upgrading a normal 950 square foot bungalow, which was the size of the wartime homes back then, you know, the, the price point on something like that, depending uh, on a lot of issues, is anywhere from four to $6,000 to do the electrical upgrade. But then you've got the repair of the walls. Because back then uh, it was, not, it was uh, lath and plaster, which is very difficult to repair. So what a lot of people do actually, the most cost-effective way of handling it is have a contractor come in, open all the walls, remove all the lath and plaster, and then the cost of the electrical installation goes down and also the cost of the repairs. Right, okay. I owned another uh, older home. This one was a 1950s bungalow and a lot of the outlets were not grounded. What's the issue there? Ungrounded circuits were very, very prevalent up again till about 1964, 65, somewhere in there. Now, there's a danger to using an ungrounded receptacle, a danger of electrocution because there's no protection for the person using the system. But what's allowed nowadays, and when we go in and do electrical service upgrades from 60 to 100, the inspectors and so forth demand, as part of the upgrade, that we address the ungrounded circuits. Now, what the minimum requirement is for something like this, according to the Canadian Electrical Code, is that we can install ground fault interrupter receptacles, GFIs. A GFI put into an ungrounded circuit will protect it as if it was grounded. It doesn't ground it. It protects it as if. Right, so, so it trips the circuit. Trips the GFI instead right. of the breaker. Right, yeah. Now, in a case where you're using a, an appliance of some kind, where there's a fault and the potential for electrocution, if the situation deems the GFI will turn itself off, otherwise, if there was no GFI, you do run the risk of electrocution because it will not trip the breaker if it's ungrounded. Right, okay. And 
what sort of costing on replacing ungrounded uh, receptacles? Rick, uh, while we're there doing it for with the service upgrade, it works out to approximately $25 each okay. for labor and material. It's not that huge of an expense, but it is it is wonderful protection. Right, okay. Mm. Now, you mentioned uh, master electrician earlier in the interview. What do you mean by that? In the province of Alberta, actually all across Canada, a person needs to go through four years of training in school to become a journeyman electrician. You go and write a provincial exam that gives you what's called a red seal. You're able to work anywhere across Canada and the States and so forth with this. The next step up from that is after three years of being a journeyman electrician, you can go in and write an exam to give you the status of master electrician. Now, what a master electrician status gives you is the ability to take out permits to do electrical work. Now, a funny thing happens when you say this to somebody because somebody will come up and say, well, me as a homeowner, I can go take out a permit. Yes, that's absolutely true in the province of Alberta. And what that means is the home the homeowner does not have to be a master electrician, obviously. But what it is is they're asking people to become masters by writing this exam. And the exam deals strictly with code and practices and procedures and that sort of thing. Once you become a master, you are responsible. This is your right to open a business and, and so forth. So there is a higher standard, a higher level of accountability, etc. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. You are now accountable as a master electrician to be responsible for the installation of electrical and so forth. Okay. So let's say you had family members across the country who were buying a home, and obviously it's not practical for you to fly in and, and do the work, etc. How would you go about recommending to people to identify a, an appropriate contractor to use? How do you pick someone? <laughs> you know what? Listening to the people that I deal with on a daily basis, what they use to pick somebody is they search, of course, they Google it. They Google Edmonton electricians, Sherwood Park electricians, and they look for responses from other people, for recommendations from other people. They look for credibility. Is he a BBB member? Does he have reviews written about his organization. There's a number of different places out there you can go to on the internet to find reviews. The biggest one with Robart Electric is Homestars. Homestars is a site where people go in and write reviews. And uh, that's one place I would go because those are honest words from people who have used these contractors. So that's what I would recommend to my relatives across Canada to research and find these people. Okay, Rob, tell me a little bit about the training that you're providing to realtors and inspectors, home inspectors, when it comes to uh, the electrical systems in homes. About four years ago, I happened to notice that MLS listings were saying that a 1954 home was upgraded electrical, or it said service is 100 amp. And being the experienced journeyman that I am, I know that the houses of that era were originally put in with 60 amp electrical services. So I did a little bit of investigation and to make a long story short, I found that realtors and home inspectors didn't have the knowledge necessary to make that judgment call as to whether it was a 60 or 100 amp service. 
So we at Robart Electric created a training program specifically designed for realtors and home inspectors. Now what this will allow them to do, these training courses, is it will allow them to identify if it's a 60 or a 100 amp service. Now one of the biggest things that they have to deal with out there is the shock of finding out from a home inspector that it was a 60 amp service and it broadsides the homeowner because they didn't know. They're older, seniors, they're ready to go into a nursing home or whatever, and they had no idea. So this was a shock. So the training was specifically designed to help home inspectors and realtors pre-identify whether it's a 60 amp service or 100. Now this has been a really, really good thing for them, I'm hearing, because it saves so many problems when it comes to the shock of finding out about this because they find out initially once they walk into the home when they're first called in to list it and so forth and they're able to deal with all those issues prior to listing and uh, it makes the sale so much smoother because from what the realtors tell me if they list a house with a 60 amp service and go to sell it they lose approximately 80% of their buyers because the buyers don't want to deal with the 60 amp service upgrades, fighting with the insurance companies and the brokers and so forth yep. to get their insurance and their mortgages. Well, and if they're a first time buyer, they're probably using the bulk of their savings for the down payment. They don't have the extra two or three grand for the service upgrade, right? Exactly, exactly. And a typical service upgrade nowadays is going to run you anywhere between, realistically, a proper service upgrade between $2,000 and $2,600. Somewhere in there, depending on a bunch of variables. Right. So now, this may be a dumb question, no, <laughs> but if I was to walk into a house and walk up to the, uh, the the panel and look at it, it says 100, it's 100, right? That, that's a great question because that's one of the things I found when I first started going into the real estate offices and training realtors. I would ask the question, how many of you know how to identify if it's a 100 amp service or a 60 amp service. And I'd get a number of hands that go up and I would point and I'd ask the question, please tell me, how do you know? And the biggest response I was getting coming back and, and I thought it was hilarious. The realtor would say, well, you read the sticker on the electrical panel. Or read what the switch says. Or, right. <laughs> but the switch is correct. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for the main breaker, which is the big one on top, not the one in the, in the rows, but the big one on top. And on the end of the handle, it will give you the amperage rating of that breaker. It'll say either 60 or 70, which will mean that it came from either 1958 to 65 or it'll say 100, which is after approximately 1965. But never, never go by the sticker on the front of the panel because all that is is the manufacturer's recommended rating for that piece of equipment. Right, okay. Now, another thing I'd like to mention too that just brought to mind, another thing that realtors were saying to me was that they have their homeowner that phones Epcor and says, how big is my electrical service? Epcor is responsible for the connection of the wires from the power pole in the alley to the mast, which is that metal pipe on the house. That piece of wire is what they're responsible for and the glass meter. The wiring on your house, in your house and so forth, Epcor has got no clue. So I've got information from realtors a lot 
where the homeowner didn't agree with the realtor saying you've got a 60 amp service. So they phone EPCOR and say to them, at this address, what size is my service? EPCOR will always say 100 amp. Now let me tell you why. They know the size of the wire going from the pole to the house, the pole in the alley to the house. It is, I've seen it maybe twice in my 35 years, it is always 100 amp rated wire. Because of the distance and the weight of the wire, if they were to use number 60 amp wiring, the wire would break because the tensile strength isn't strong enough for that distance between the house and the pole. So they always use 100 amp wiring. So now that's a confusion that realtors and homeowners have to understand. It's not what EPCOR tells you. The rating of your service is based, and this is the decision made by the City of Edmonton and the, the foreman at EPCOR. What you're looking for to determine the number one thing is what size is the main breaker on the main panel. Now there's a little bit of a trick to this because if you've got a, a typical service from the 50s and early 60s, there will be a glass meter on the outside of the house, usually by the back door, and directly behind it will be that little panel on the wall above the three stairs going up to the kitchen. That is your main panel. That is the panel you want to look at to see if there's a 100 amp main breaker. And prior to 1965, there will be no 100 amp main breaker. But the confusion comes when somebody over the years needed more space for electrical expansion, so they put a panel downstairs. That panel is fed from the panel by the back door. And the one downstairs might be new and shiny, have a big 100 amp main breaker in it, but that is not the main panel. That is a sub from the one by the back door. And the one by the back door, I've heard referred to as like the pony breaker or something like the, that. The one downstairs will be the pony from the one by the back door. Ah, okay. When a service upgrade happens, a new panel is put in the basement yeah. and the one by the back door is fed from the new panel. It becomes the pony panel. Ah, it's no so, they get, the so they get reversed. That's right. It's called back feed. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's what that little story is. Gotcha. Okay. So in my house, yes. my so I go through light bulbs quite a bit. Okay. And so what my dad did was he ran a little uh, electrical meter and it shows I don't get 110 service. I'm doing like 120, 125. What's going on there? Well, in different areas of the city or rural areas, actually, you will get variants. The, the typical you're going to find with a, a meter is anywhere from I'd say 116 to 120 is pretty typical. Okay. Now, what's causing the light bulbs to pop I've found through experience are two things. On a two-story home, for instance, well, actually on a, on a bungalow, if you've got a light, a, an old incandescent style light bulb screwed into a light socket and it's right underneath the kids' bedrooms, the kids walking, jumping in their bedroom will cause the element in the incandescent light bulb to vibrate. Okay. And as it vibrates, it loosens the connections and they do burn out prematurely because of vibration. Okay. Another reason that would cause light bulbs to go prematurely is inside the light socket, that porcelain part of the light fixture that you screw the light bulb into, mm -hmm. up inside there is a little brass tab. 
This brass tab is what makes connections to the tip of the light bulb. Over time, that brass tab gets pushed up into the socket. So as you screw in the light bulb, it comes to the end of its travel and it starts to arc okay. between that tab and the tip of the light bulb. The way to correct this is go downstairs to the main panel or back door, turn off the main breaker and make sure that all the power in the house is off. Take a plastic spoon, a plastic knife, that sort of thing, stick it inside the light socket, catch this little tab and bend it down. When you bend it down, it now makes proper contact to the light bulb because as the light bulb touches it, it puts pressure on the tip of the light bulb right. and it'll prevent arcing. Okay, and therefore your light bulbs will last longer. That's right. But nowadays, you know, it's very, very recommended to go LED. The price of LED bulbs is coming down and according to the manufacturers, the LED bulbs will outlast all of us, if you're going to believe that. But the incandescent, <laughs> the incandescent have gone the way of the dinosaur. We don't use those anymore. Right, okay. Rob, do you have any uh, good tales from the trenches for us? I've got one tale that I always tell the realtors. I got a phone call uh, from a realtor, no, from a homeowner actually, who said, Rob, my master bedroom, my half bath, my hallway, my daughter's bedroom have no power. Can you come down and take a look? And the very first question I always asked was, what year was your house built? They said 1972. I thought to myself, I know what the problem is. I know what the problem is. So I went down to the house and I went down to the electrical panel and I checked and all the breakers were turned on. So that wasn't the problem. I took the cover off the electrical panel and with my electrical meter, I checked to make sure all the breakers were putting out power so that there were no defective ones. And then I gave a little tug on all the wires going into the breakers to make sure none of them were loose. So when I determined that everything at the panel was fine, I would put the cover back on and I would leave all the breakers on. So we would go upstairs and the first question I asked the people was, do you ever use the receptacle in your half bath? And the lady of the house says, oh yes, of course I do. Every morning for my curling iron and hair dryer and everything. I says, let's check. So what I did was I was standing at the counter and these, him and her were standing in the doorway and I took the two screws off for the cover of the receptacle and I put them on the counter and I took the screws off for the re, uh, receptacle on the wall and I put them on the counter. I grabbed the receptacle top and bottom on the metal part and I wanted to pull it out and extend it so I could take a look behind and take a look. As I started to pull, the blue light that filled the room was blinding. <laughs> so I turned my head away and I'm looking at both of him and her. They're standing there with their arms in front of their faces, blocking themselves from this blue light. And as I kept pulling and pulling. When it wouldn't move anymore, I let go. And I was to the end of the wires. They were fully extended. As I looked down, the insulation on all the wiring was gone. The back of the plug was absolutely gone. All that was left was the internal metal pieces and the plastic was in a puddle in the bottom of the electrical box. I turned to them and said, I think I found your problem. Needless to say, they asked us to come in and do a pigtailing job. Aluminum wiring is a very scary situation and you do not know 
if there's a problem until something rears its ugly head. Right. And in this particular case, it was a power failure. But one more thing that Robart Electric has um, taken on is we've gotten into now thermal imaging, where we can go around a house with a camera and investigate all the plugs and switches to determine, behind the walls even, if there's any heat sources that are present. Oh, this is a way of preventing fires and damage long before they become a serious threat. Oh, okay, interesting. Here, let's play Dr. Rob. Okay. So, my house. Yes. I've got an ensuite bathroom in my bedroom. Yeah. And then the kids have a bathroom. Yeah. Occasionally, the lights, the power will go out in my bathroom. If I walk into the kids' bathroom and, you know, look what's going on, the GFI has been triggered. Yeah. What's going on there? Well, a GFI is something that will protect the circuit, obviously, from ground fault problems. But in almost all cases since 19, beginning of the 1970s, the two bathrooms will be wired together and protected by one GFI. Okay. Now, in your particular case, it's in your kid's bathroom. Yep. So if the GFI trips, you can basically lose all the power in your kid's bathroom as well as the power in your bathroom. That is the normal way of wiring one of these things. Right. Now, the kids don't lose their power, and there's nothing going on that I can see that's caused the trip in, to happen, period. So any thoughts on that? Yes. The way that Robart Electric wires these things are when we bring a circuit up to a bathroom, we always go to the GFI first okay. because it will protect everything wired after it in the circuit. Now, from what you've just described, if I understand you correctly, when the GFI pops in your kid's bathroom, you lose protection, you lose power, yeah. but not the kid's bathroom. Correct. So now, what happened in a case like that? Whoever wired your house went to the light switch, to the light fixture, to the fan. The GFI was the last item on the circuit. Mm. The other items in the bathroom, your kid's bathroom, mm -hmm. are not protected by the GFI receptacle. From the last item, the GFI receptacle, they jumped over and went to your bathroom. Right. Okay. So, in other words, it was wired incorrectly. Not incorrectly according to code, because there's nothing saying that it has to be done that way, from what I understand, from what I remember. But it's a common practice to do it that way, to make sure that everything in that bathroom with the high humidity area is protected for, to save uh, safeguard the people using the bathroom. Right, okay. And if there's no hair blowers or curling irons or any of that going on in my bathroom, yeah. what would cause the trip then? Nuisance tripping can be a number of things. It could be a defective GFI receptacle. There could be a problem with a light fixture. In light fixtures, you have stranded wire, those fine little copper wires that are stranded. It, when the light fixture was installed, and the, the stranded wires were connected to the solid copper wires, the moret or wire nut would have been put on. If one of those strands is coming out and touching the metal box, it will cause a ground fault that will trip a, a GFI receptacle. So it could be something very minor that's causing it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But it's very difficult to locate because, you know, you can imagine the amount of investigation that would be required because you would have to take apart everything in the circuit, 
turn it back on and see if it's still dripping. Right, and if it happens once every few months, hey, good luck to you. Yeah, good luck to you, it's about it. Yeah. But if it is dripping, that means it's working properly and you are protected. Right. Okay. Rob, thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome, Jason.